Would you open up your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 65, beginning in verse 17, Pew Bible page 1,164, 1,164, starting the reading at verse 17. You know, the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word, Isaiah, chapter 65, verse 17 and following. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will it come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, but dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Turning now to Revelation chapter 20. Starting in the verse, the reading in verse 11. Revelation chapter 20, reading in verse 11. All the way to chapter 21, verse 27, okay? That is Pew Bible page 1936. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cause from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. 
But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be twelve thousand stadia in length, and as wide and as high as it is long. He measured its wall, and it was one hundred forty-four cubits thick by man's measurement, which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedonium, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the ninth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold like transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the lamp is its lamp. The Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're looking at the final article in the Belgian Confession, uh, Belgian Confession article 37, page 89, in your green, the back of your green Psalter hymnals. Titled The Last Judgment. There we read Finally, we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths, according to the word of God, when the time appointed by the Lord, which is unknown to all creatures, is come and the number of the elect complete, that our Lord Jesus Christ will come from heaven corporally and visibly, as he ascended with great glory and majesty, declare himself judge of the living and the dead, burning this old world with fire and flame to cleanse it. And then all men will personally appear before this great judge, both men and women and children, that have been from the beginning of the world to the end thereof, being summoned by the voice of the archangel and by the sound of the trump of God. For all the dead shall be raised out of the earth, and their souls joined and united with their proper bodies, in which they formerly lived. As for those who shall then be living, they shall not die as the others, but be changed in the twinkling of an eye, and from corruptible become incorruptible. Then the books, that is to say, the consciences, shall be opened, and the dead judged according to what they shall have done in this world, 
whether it be good or evil. Nay, all men shall give account of every idle word they have spoken, which the world only counts amusement and jest. And then the secrets and hypocrisy of men shall be disclosed and laid open before all. And therefore the consideration of this judgment is justly terrible and dreadful to the wicked and ungodly, but most desirable and comfortable to the righteous and elect, because then their full deliverance shall be perfected, and there they shall receive the fruits of their labor and trouble which they have borne. Their innocence shall be known to all, and they shall see the terrible vengeance which God shall execute on the wicked who most cruelly persecuted, oppressed, and tormented them in this world, and who shall be convicted by the testimony of their own consciences, and shall become immortal, but only to be tormented in the eternal fire which is prepared for the devil and his angels. But on the contrary, the faithful and elect shall be crowned with glory and honor, and the Son of God will confess their names before God his Father and his elect angels. All tears shall be wiped from their eyes, and their cause, which is now condemned by many judges and magistrates as heretical and impious, will then be known to be the cause of the Son of God. And for a gracious reward, the Lord will cause them to possess such a glory as never entered into the heart of man to conceive. Therefore, we expect that great day with the most ardent desire to the end that we may fully enjoy the promises of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That is Article 37 of the Belgic Confession of Faith. There's a song that was popularized because it became the theme song for the sitcom Friends. And if you've ever seen the opening scenes from the sitcom Friends, you'll remember there's like a couch and, and a fountain that everyone is standing in front of. But the song, everybody sort of knows it now because of that. Everybody knows it now because... It's the theme song to Friends, and it goes like this. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. Now, I bring that up because Article 37 of the Belgic Confession of Faith aligns quite nicely with those lyrics, although I don't believe that that was the original artist's, R.E.M.'s, intention, I think their concept was something dramatic happens in your life, and you realize life goes on, you'll be okay. But if we take that to the ultimate sense, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine, that's the Christian's comfort when reading something as stark as the last judgment, the white throne judgment, when all people's sins will be revealed. The Christian's confession in the midst of that reality should be, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. Right? So, our theme tonight The Last Judgment, is the end of the world 
as we know it. And the beginning. of the world as it should be. The last judgment is the end of the world as we know it and the beginning of the world as it should be. We have four points tonight. The second coming Number two, the solemn assembly. If Josh were here, he'd like my alliteration. (laughs) Third point, the scrolls opened. Fourth point, the saints glorified. I was on an alliteration kick this week. All right, let's start with this first point, the second coming, okay? Just so you know, we're not going to have time to get into everything tonight, okay? There's a lot of details about the end times that cannot be covered in Article 37. In fact, Article 37 is very much focused on those final concluding events, on not one's particular position on those, although it does exclude one particular position on the end times, which I'll mention at some point, okay? Uh, Article 37. Finally, we believe, according to the word of God, when the time appointed by the Lord, which is unknown to all creatures, is come, and the number of the elect complete, that our Lord Jesus Christ will come from heaven, corporally, visibly, as he ascended, with great glory and majesty, to declare himself judge of the living and the dead, burning this old world with fire and flame to cleanse it. What does that tell us? It says um, that Christ is coming back. Christ is going to return, okay? And one way that I will point this out to you is in Matthew chapter 25. Verse 30 through 31. Jesus is given a parable about the sheep and the goats, okay? And this is what he said. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, 31 through 33 actually, And all his angels with him, he'll sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. That's Jesus' description of the last judgment. And what he says about that is the Son of Man, his favorite term for his own, his favorite title for his own, uh, himself. The Son of Man will come at the end. In all his glory, the angels with him, and the angels will uh, gather all the saints 
and everyone alive, and the sheep will be separated from the goats. Um, the false, uh, the Christians will be separated from all other people, right? Um, this is what Article 37 says about the, the end as well. But the word of God, when the time appointed by the Lord, which is unknown to all creatures, and by the way, if anybody tells you they know when that is happening, you just simply ignore that person, okay? Um, and this is important for us because um, there have been many people who have predicted the end times, and usually the first passage that I go to when people start saying, well, Jesus is coming back on blah, blah, blah date, I say, well, that's really weird that you know it and Jesus doesn't know it. Because he said, uh, nobody knows that time or day, not even the Son of God, only the Father. So you're saying you know something Jesus doesn't know. Not a good place to be in, in my particular uh, opinion. But when that time appointed by the Lord, unknown to all creatures, has come, and the number of the elect complete, this is important because it tells us that what is tied to the end times and the final judgment is the filling up of the completion of Jesus' work. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for the sins of the elect. When he rose for the grave, he rose for the sake of the elect. And that means overall history from beginning to end. And so what that means is there is a particular time, a point in time in which all those that Jesus who died for and saved will have come into existence and the number of the elect will be complete. And when that happens, we don't know when that is, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ will come from heaven. Everyone will see him. He will be corporally in his body. He will descend just as he ascended in Acts chapter 1. Went up into the sky and a cloud covered him. With great glory and majesty, he will come because he has been declared judge by God himself. He will come to judge the living and the dead. And when he comes, as 2 Peter chapter 3, 7, 7 and following says, he will burn this whole world with fire and flame to cleanse it, purify it, change it radically. All that is cursed and broken will be melted away, and all that is good and right will remain. And when Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead, what that is telling us is that there is one particular point in the future called the second coming. When Jesus will return. And on that second coming, Jesus will bring resurrection to all those who are alive, those who have died. And in that one moment, he will judge the living. And the dead. Now, I was going to tell you that I, I do believe that the Bible, and particularly our confession of faith, outrules one particular view of the end times. And that is premillennialism. Premillennialism believes that there are 
Uh, there's an event in the future where Jesus returns, sets up an earthly kingdom that he rules and reigns from for a thousand years, where people continue to die, um, where uh, sacrifices are offered in the temple, which deeply offends me since Jesus is the final sacrifice. Um, and then at the end of that thousand years, Satan will be released. And then at the end of Satan's uh, uh, attempt to take over and be destroyed, the final judgment happens. The white throne judgment happens. Um, th that does not co coincide with Scripture. There's not two subsequent resurrections. Um, there is one resurrection of the living and the dead. That's when Jesus comes back. Okay? So, um, call yourself an amillennial. Call yourself a postmillennial. But... Um, biblically speaking and confessionally speaking, um, our denomination does not allow for premillennialists. The solemn assembly. All right, what are we talking about here? Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 and 12, we read. I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky, fled from his presence. There was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Um, a solemn assembly is when all people, dead or alive, at the time of Christ's return, um, stand, before judge, stand before the judgment seat. Belgian Confession describes it like this. Then all men will appear, personally appear, and by the way, when it says men, it means people, Okay. Um, then all men will personally appear before this great judge, both men and women and children, that have been from the beginning of the world to the end thereof, being summoned by the voice of the archangel and by the sound of the trump of God, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For all the dead shall be raised out of the earth, and their souls joined and united with their proper bodies in which they formerly lived. As for those who shall then be living, they shall not die as the others, but be changed in the twinkling of an eye, and corruptible become incorruptible. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the imagery of being changed from the twink, before the twinkling of an eye. If you're alive, when, if we are alive, if we happen to be alive when Christ returns, um, we will be transformed into our immortal bodies, um, almost as if instantaneously, by the twinkling of an eye. You blink and it happens, okay? Um, but if we are dead... When uh, Christ returns, uh, then one couple things that are important for us to know about this is that um, the dead shall be raised out of their earth, their souls joined and united with their proper bodies in which they formerly lived. Uh, so, 
Um, one of the reasons why Christians for many, many years have um, had a particular viewpoint on burial, on um, the need to have uh, a proper burial in the ground, um, on the, the, one of the reasons why uh, Christians have had uh, varying views on cremation um, and whether that should be something that's allowed or accepted is because of this view. The view that when Christ comes back, when our souls are reunited to our bodies, it's not some new heavenly body that has no connection or association with the bodies that we are in now. And it makes sense that we think this way because the body that went into the tomb, that came off the cross and went into the tomb, that we call Jesus of Nazareth, is the same body that was resurrected and came out of the tomb. Okay? And so, um, although it is a great and deep and mysterious mystery that people who have been dead for thousands of years, their body will be recorporalized. Um, the reason why there has been dignity given to Christians, why many churches have their own cemeteries where people are buried, is because of this belief and this understanding that uh, one's body, even though it's dead, even though it decomposes, even though it goes in the grave, is a forever body. It's a forever body. That's why it says, all the dead shall be raised out of the earth, their souls enjoined and united with their proper bodies in which they formerly lived. Okay? So that's important to remember because I think a lot of times we get this strange or bizarre understanding about um, our future bodies as if they are something entirely and completely different than what we are experiencing now. Um, but that is not the case. Uh, another thing that, that needs to be said is this distinction that it makes between soul and body. This is often called uh, the dichotomy um, of, of the human, the distinction between body and soul. Uh, this is something that's not natural to us as human beings, uh, this distinction between body and soul, uh, because we were created um, to not be divided in such a fashion. Um, but the reason why this needs to be mentioned is because um, there is nothing said in Article 37 about what we often call the intermediate state. That is, if you die now before Christ returns, your body goes in the grave, but where are you? Do you exist? Do you have a consciousness? Uh, do you go somewhere? Well, from the variety of scriptures we determine, we can determine that the intermediate state between this moment when you are living in your body, you die, and this moment that it's talking about in Article 37, the last judgment and the resurrection of the living and the dead, um, your soul goes to be in the presence of the Lord. <coughs> Paul, speaking to the church in uh, Philippi, I believe, said, I would like to go and be with the Lord, for it is better to be apart from the body and to go and to be with the Lord um, but I will stay because I know that you need me in this time. And so what Paul is expressing is the, is the expression of all Christians. Um, we understand that the bodies that we now experience are broken. 
that they uh, age, that they stop functioning and working. And uh, we don't want to stay forever in these bodies. Um, and so it's better to depart from the body and to be in the presence of the Lord, our spirit to be in the presence of the Lord, our soul to be in the presence of the Lord. Um, but it is even better for the resurrection. You see, many people today have a non-physical view of heaven. They think that the intermediate state is the final state, that you die and you go to be with God in heaven and you float around in your souls and your spirits and uh, that's it. That's what the blessed state is. But that's not what the blessed state is, scripturally speaking. The blessed state, although it is better to be apart from the body and to be with the Lord, is that final state of resurrection when the corruptible puts on incorruptible, when we share in that same resurrection body that Jesus has. So this solemn assembly is all the people from all history, men, women, children, who appear before that great judge, Jesus Christ, the white throne judgment that we read of in Revelation chapter 20, to hear uh, what it is that will be done about them, okay? And this is where we read the scrolls are opened. I use scrolls because I wanted to keep the alliteration, but it, in, it says books, okay? But if I wanted to sound really smart, I would say in Greek it says scrolls. Because Greek sounds more scrolls to me anyways. Parchments. The scrolls are open. Revelation chapter 20, continuing on. The, book were op- the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. The death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The books. The Belgian Confession of Faith says equals conscience. The books that are open that show what they've done are the consciences. I I believe the way that they came to that determination is Romans chapter 2. Paul talks about God's judgment. Um, He says in verse 16, or uh, in verse 12 following, All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves even though they do not have the law. Since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience is also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. So, that connection between the day of judgment and the consciences revealing uh, is the reason why the Belgian Confession of Faith says the books that are open 
in Revelation chapter 20, when all the dead are brought before the white throne judgment seat, are the consciences. They are, up, they are open and the dead are judged according to what they shall have done in this world, whether it be good or evil. All men shall give an account of every idle word they have spoken, which the world only counts as amusement and jest. And then the secrets and hypocrisy of men shall be disclosed and laid open before all. And therefore the consideration of this judgment is justly terrible and dreadful to the wicked and ungodly, but most desirable and comfortable to the righteous and elect. Because then their full deliverance shall be perfected. There they shall receive the fruits of their labor and trouble which they have borne. Their innocence shall be known to all, and they shall see the terrible vengeance which God shall execute on the wicked who most cruelly persecuted, oppressed, and tormented them in this world. And thou shalt be convicted by the testimony of their own consciences, and shall become immortal, but only to be tormented in the eternal fire, which is prepared for the devil and his angels. Um, these scrolls, these books are open, and that is the determining judgment that is given to these people, whether it's good or uh, bad. Therefore, we have a cross point uh, to the wicked. This is a frightful thing. But to the elect, this is what the Belgian Confession of Faith calls comfortable. The books are open, and all people shall be judged according to what they have done in this world, good or bad. All men will give an account of every idle word they have spoken which the world only counts amusement and jest. And the secrets and hypocrisy of men shall be disclosed and laid open before all. This is a consideration of judgment should, is justly terrible and dreadful to the wicked and ungodly, but most desirable and comfortable to the righteous and the elect. My question should be then to us, why is it most desirable and comfortable to us, this coming judgment? Well, the Heidelberg Confession of Faith, or Catechism, Heidelberg Confession of Faith, that's a good one. The Heidelberg Catechism says the reason why this is a comfort to us is because we've already been judged in the judge. The judge who comes is the one who is already judged in our place. Uh, the way that the Belgian Confession of Faith words that is, because at that final judgment, the elect's deliverance will be perfected. They shall receive the fruits of their labor, for we do not labor in vain, and trouble which they have borne, for all the troubles that we experience in this life are storing up for us a glory, a weight of glory that cannot even be compared to the suffering that we experience now. And in particular, for Guido Debris and all those who were holy, righteous saints who were suffering for the truth of the gospel. And during the Reformation, the last judgment would be the revelation that what they stood for and what they believed in was right, that they were on the right side of history. You understand that's a, a big thing that people like to say today, right? That, well, you better, you better change the way you feel about that particular thing because you need to be on the right side of history. Don't you remember that we were on the wrong side of history before when we did this and this? You want to be on the right side of history. Well, let me make this very clear. To those who stand upon the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
at that final moment, the last judgment, it will be revealed to all, including those who criticized you, including those who did you wrong, including those who mocked your Christian conviction and faith, that you were on the right side of history. For there, at that moment, the innocence of the godly shall be known to all, and they shall see the terrible vengeance which God shall execute on the wicked who most cruelly persecuted, oppressed, and tormented them in this world. If it is disturbing to you to hear that in some fashion the people of God will find pleasure in seeing those who have persecuted oppressed and tormented them in this world finally receive the vengeance they deserve, then you need to remember that Romans chapter 9 tells us that maybe, just maybe, in fact, one of the reasons why it is that God does not save everyone is because he desires for his wrath to be revealed. Is that something you desire? For God's wrath to be revealed. What is something that the people of God uh, will worship and praise God for doing perfectly? You see, we live in a world right now where there is no concept of a final judgment. If there's any justice to be had, it needs to be had here, now. That's what mob justice is. We want it our way. We want it right now. And if we don't get it the way that we are going to get it, that we want to get it, then we will not be satisfied. You know what that comes from, right? It comes from not understanding that there are so many injustices that go unpunished in this world. There are so many criminals and murderers who never get caught. There are so many things that aren't even against the law in our day and age, like a gossip who destroys someone's career, someone's reputation over a lie. Nobody goes to jail for that. But one day, all the wrongs in this world will be righted by God. And you know what? That's a relief to me. Because I couldn't figure out how to make it all right right now, even if I tried. And we're being promised that that day is going to come for God's people. And it will be a blessing. Finally, we read of the saints' restoration. Isaiah chapter 65 talks about the new heavens and the new earth that God has promised. Um, I think it's important for us to tie the Old Testament to eschatology, to the end times, because in particular, if you don't know the Old Testament prophecies, the visions, those kinds of things, the illusions, you're not going to understand the book of Revelation. Um, But it's interesting to see those parallels, Isaiah chapter 65, new heavens and new earth. Uh, And then Revelation chapter 21, I saw a new heaven and new earth. 
Um, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And we read about this new heaven and this new earth, um, about a God making all things new, and about the way that God is going to come, and Jesus Christ is going to come and restore uh, the world to the way that it's supposed to be. The last judgment is the end of the world as we know it, and the beginning of the world as it should be. Uh, and we are going to be participants in that, those who have faith in Jesus Christ, those who have been redeemed in Jesus Christ. Um, we read in the Belgic Confession that uh, on that day, the faithful and elect shall be crowned. Those who are convicted by the testimony of their own conscience shall become immortal. Yes, they're going to live forever, but only to be tormented in the eternal fire, which is prepared for the devil and his angels. But on the contrary, on the flip side of that, the faithful and elect shall be crowned with glory and honor. The Son of God will confess their names before God his Father and his elect angels. All tears shall be wiped from their eyes, and their cause, which is now condemned by many judges and magistrates as heretical and impious, will then be known to be the cause of the Son of God. They will be vindicated. The saint's restoration is a vindication. Um, the saint's restoration is a, is a, a, a receiving of, of glory and honor. The saint's restoration is, is given, has been given those crowns so that we can cast them at the feet of Jesus. Um, for a gracious reward, God, the Lord, will cause them to possess such a glory as never entered into the heart of man to conceive. What can man even fathom or imagine that will be like that day? where we will receive all the benefits untethered uh, from the sin and the corruption and the fall that we experience now in this world of Jesus Christ. We will, we will receive him unhindered. We will receive him fully. Uh, we will experience uh, the perfection of all the things that we enjoy in this life um, without any mar of the fall and of sin and of curse. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. We have to ask ourselves as Christians, is that our confession? That as we consider this picture of the coming last judgment, is it something that we are not frightened by, undisturbed by? It might be something that spurs us on to Christian living, a reminder to speak to those that we love who are dear to us, a reminder to, to share uh, the good news of Jesus Christ with the lost. But um, are we comforted um, by the knowledge that the world is going to end as we know it? Do we feel fine about that? Uh, can we say with the Belgic Confession, therefore we expect that great day with the most ardent desire. We expect it, we pray for it, to the end that we may fully enjoy the promises of God and Christ Jesus, our Lord and so we pray and we say daily, amen, come Lord Jesus, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that the end is really the beginning. We thank you that the end of the world as we know it is the beginning of the world as it should be. And we pray, Lord, for that day to come. Come, Lord Jesus, 
Uh, we pray, Lord, that on that day, we as your people uh, would be comforted that you, the judge, have already been judged in our place uh, and that we will be vindicated as your people. Uh, we pray, Lord, that we would say that even though it's the end of the world as we know it, we feel fine. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.